bunch of weird stuff to do in isolation <laughs> oh my god i like honestly my cousin turned to me at some point last week who i live with and they were like so you're turning 100 soon uh what should we do <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't even get the joke because i was like what are they talking about i was like i looked at them like what are you what are you referring to and they were like um, your the day of your birth it is uh imminent <laughs> like hello and I was like isn't it fucking September like what's going on like I couldn't even <laughs> process the joke because none of this makes sense like the timeline it's just not working out in my head but here we are here yeah. we are it is my birthday I had some apple pie, my favorite kind of pie. Don't make an old joke. I love apple pie. It's <laughs> the best pie. <laughs> and you made a pie. It was an for apple pie. Me. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yes, <laughs> it was. Uh, and and today's the day that your book launches. Yeah, yeah. So you can reach my book in stores if you're going into stores. It's so funny because my, my partner was like, uh, who the fuck is going into stores right now? And I'm like, I guess nobody. <laughs> so I was actually wondering, I was like, what does it mean that Nora's book launches today if you buy it online and you could have ordered it before today? What does it really mean? <laughs> you could have you could have ordered it in the past week, um, but it's in the in the last week where if you'd ordered it, it will show up in the next couple of days. So it's OK. I'm it's in a warehouse somewhere in Winnipeg. I understand. <laughs> Great. Well, I am here for the celebration. Happy to share my birthday with your book release. Thanks. Thanks. That's a really great present. Yeah. I mean, thanks for being born. I mean, thank your parents for having you, <laughs> you know. It kind of feels like weird that birthdays aren't like a celebration of the person giving birth. But anyway, maybe that's another episode. Oh, you know what episode that could be? That could be our live show in Vancouver because it's the day of my kid's birthday. <laughs> Amazing. You want to yeah. tell the folks about that? Yes. So here's a couple of like very quick announcements. So November 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern time, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time, we are doing a live show for the Vancouver Podcast Festival. And judging by the amount of bags that we just gave away, we have so many listeners in BC. And I knew we had listeners in BC, but fuck, guys. BC, hey! <laughs> hey, BC! You're awesome. And so, yeah, so you can listen to us through the, the Vancouver Podcast Festival. I imagine that that will be our episode for the weekend. So you'll probably also just catch the episode that week because I'm going to hopefully if we can record it and then release it like we normally do. Great. And yes, thank you to everybody who, um, you know, participated in our bag giveaway. I'm so happy that we were able to uh, support the activists out on the East uh, through that. Um, and if, for those of you who didn't get a bag, I hope that you consider, uh, purchasing something anyway. We did share where we were purchasing from, uh, on, uh, the show notes and on Twitter and on Instagram. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? 
Which, well, I, you know, if you were following Instagram this week, the Sandy and Nora account on Instagram, which is Nora's account, (laughs) I, you know, I'm on it every once in a while. I just, I mean, look, Nora, I know that you're new to Instagram and maybe, maybe the app has a learning curve. I'm not sure. (laughs) But if you don't follow us on Instagram, Nora shared some very weird thing to the stories last week. Like there was one we were asking people if they wanted us, you know, uh, to provide merch to the listeners. Let us know if you have a thought on that. But anyway, I put that question up. Nora reshared that story and added a vote early sticker. <laughs> I don't know, apparently for our... To vote for swag. Our small and mighty uh, U.S. audience. Oh, that was an American that, thing. I thought that was yes, just a voting thing. clicked on that vote early... <laughs> no, because if you clicked on that vote early sticker, it took you to voting information. That's what it was for. Oh. She also added a sticker that said, thanks to the health heroes, which is Obvious. a COVID support sticker. Yeah, fuck. And, and she posted it. As a memory from the archive that was literally the day before. So, you know, I'm I'm confused. I know a bunch of the listeners are confused. What the hell is going on there, Nora? Sorry, what the fuck are the You're archives? Like the worst. Like, I've never even heard of that in my life. Like, I was just posting a, a picture that I thought, hey, no. everybody, yeah, vote early on our swag question. No, you, you shared from the archives. Like, you know how on Facebook every once in a while it's like, would you like to share this post that you made? Um, like five years ago, like here's a memory. You went into the memories and you shared it as a memory, but it was from the day <laughs> fucking before. So why did you do that? <laughs> so I'm like, I use Facebook, like, I mean, like everybody's fucking 70 year old aunt does. And um, I, I've actually disactivated that feature. So I actually didn't realize that there's an archive or like, I, I just found the words. And then I think someone maybe, maybe reported me for not using it correctly. Cause now the, the word feature is gone and I have to just post pictures again only. I, I don't really get Instagram. No, no, Nora. The word feature is not gone. You can still post words on the stories. You know how I know? Because it's a shared account. So I can see it also. You can still Post words on the story. Perhaps at some point you should learn how to use Instagram. I'm not going to teach you because I think that our listeners did have some fun this week watching you struggle. <laughs> it was very weird. <laughs> but anyway, we do. We are curious about whether or not folks uh, want us to provide merch. Uh, we did do a poll on Instagram about that. Uh, and it seems like the majority of you want us to provide merch. And those of you who don't, we have some very uh, important things to think about because um, uh, some of the reasons for that were concerns about uh, 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 sustainability, about doing things ethically, labor. And those are things that we would be thinking about um, in, in any case. So we will investigate and mm-hmm. let you know what we come up with. Yeah, yeah, totally. And actually, one of our very uh, big fans and friends uh, has suggested something. So I think maybe by next week, we'll have an answer on this stuff. Because once Sandy and I talk about it, um, there's some interesting possibilities on the 
ethical swag front. But I want to I want to mention two things. I want to thank everybody that's donated in the past week because there's been a great bump in donations. Actually, thank you to folks. Um, but before I do that, so my book is out this week. If you're interested in purchasing my book, go to Fernwood's website and find my book. And when you order it or order any book on the site, there's a lot of really great books out this season. Um, if you enter the code TREATY20, you will give 20% of the book's sales to Mi'kmaq Fishers and 20% of my royalties will go to Land Back Lane at Six Nations. If you want 20% off, 20 to go to Mi'kmaq Fishers and 20% to go to Landback Lane, right now is the time to do that. And you can purchase it directly from Fernwood Publishing. Just look online. Look for the book. It's called Take Back the Fight. And I just want to thank very quickly. And, and actually, with the with the bag uh, giveaway, a lot of you folks responded. It was so great to hear a lot of your voices in email. <laughs> and um, and some of you also were like really apologetic that you can't donate financially. Like it is fine. It is so fine if you can't donate financially. But for the folks who can, thank you so much this week to Yanni, to Ben, Una, Sarah, Jael, Danica, Rosario, Michael, Maddie. Tom, Marsha, Steve, Madison, George, Sean, Agent Indian, who also big shout out for all the work that you've been doing to make sure that everyone across Canada and around the world knows what's going on in Mi'kma'ki and with the uh, Mi'kmaq fishers out uh, east. Thanks to Grace, Chisomo, Ruth, Griffin, Tom, Jean, Wes, JJ, and Imad. Thank you so, so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. And Nora, guess what major event happened just last week? Uh, the Saskatchewan election. I mean, yes. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> Was there voting day last week? I don't know. It happens, it happens tomorrow. So, I mean, we record on Sundays. By the time you're listening to us, it's already happened. We don't know the results yet because it happens tomorrow. Big shout out to my friend Kyle Lichtenwald, who I hope you win. He's in Moose Jaw. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. But no, probably not because it hasn't happened yet. What has happened in the past week? I was referring to what happened in British Columbia. Did you see? Did you see? There was a whole election. Ah. There was voting. I mean, maybe that's what your Instagram sticker was about. I doubt <laughs> it. But yes, uh, there was a vote. It happened. It was in BC. Last week, we decided... Uh, not to discuss it too much, but uh, the NDP, the BC NDP, have won a majority government. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and everybody's saying it's the first time that uh, in BC that a government uh, that's the NDP has won a re-election. I can't even think of it happening anywhere else in Canada other than Manitoba, to be honest. So I guess that's a big deal. Congratulations to John Horgan and all the dippers out on the west coast mm -hmm. i got some concerns though sandy um i don't know if you've heard but like they're pro fracking god every fucking politician out here is pro fracking these days <laughs> i'm just gosh that's just like such a um such a disappointment it seems to be really antithetical to the values that they purport as social democrats i just don't understand <sighs> I mean I, I it just makes me so frustrated that that's um we're just like devoid of the types of promises the types of policies the types of 
big ideas that don't even seem that big. That doesn't even seem like a big idea. It's mm-hmm. just like a big project, perhaps, to, to wind it all down. But it's not. It's like an obvious idea. And politics just seems yeah. across the board devoid of such things. And I'm just sick of it. What What is there to love about this activity that is so dangerous for our continuation as a human species. <laughs> Just... Well, and especially for like a province that easily could have part of it break off into the sea, thanks to an earthquake, like fracking is very bad <laughs> when it comes to seismic activity. And you can look at the at the emissions that it also produces through uh, pipeline leaks and other kinds of parts of the, pro- of the process of creating uh, fracked gas. Uh, it, it's really disappointing for me as well. And I think that, like, I really hope that New Democrats don't learn the wrong message that you have to moderate yourself to win. I suspect that considering the state of the Liberal Party, that the New Democrats could have been much more radical and still would have had the same results. And so I hope that the environmental movement, the uh, you know indigenous activists and, and and folks fighting for indigenous sovereignty will be able to fight the Horgan government um, with all of its might and take a, a government that says that it's you know center left and really push it much far out of its comfort zone to do the right thing. Um, and you know it's a it's a majority government, so we've got four years of quote unquote stability for people to be able to do this. So. Good news, uh, though, um, I really hope that folks who are are really active in the party are are sober about the reasons that they won and not trying to understand this victory as thanks to the fact that the party was a little bit more moderate in its demands. Well, look, I mean, stability is should be the the best grounds to push through some really progressive policy in the next four years. Yeah. I mean, we're frustrated about the the lack of big, bold ideas. Well, now is the time to whip those out. <laughs> Start implementing ah. these, these massive changes that can really benefit our society. Because look, like, I don't know if you're feeling it, but I'm just like, man, when we get out of COVID, Our world, like we deserve to have a fully different world. We deserve to be in a fully different place where the the types of inequalities and risks that were exacerbated during the pandemic, that we have a different approach, that we solve those things, that we're at least working towards solving those things so that should we enter some sort of pandemic situation again and I've been reading some articles that make it seem as though this is likely to happen more often now apparently Mm -hmm. it's just like okay well then we should plan for the type of society that can hold us better when something like this happens and can hold us better even in the best of times we deserve a different orientation to the way that we relate to one another, to the way that we relate to the economy, the way that we take care of one another. That was a great pivot to today's topic, which is exactly this question. (laughs) How do we imagine a different world? How do we force a different world? And how do we 
how do we convince politicians or force politicians into imagining or considering a different world? After last week's episode, you know, we cut the mics and Sandy and I talked for quite a bit after about how really shocking in some ways or disappointing or surprising or confounding it is that the governments that we have, provincial and federal governments, are seemingly unable to operate within this crisis moment to make some serious changes that would benefit average people. And instead, what they're doing is nothing, actually. They're doing the bare minimum until COVID cases spike, and then they have to respond to that. But there's no systemic discussions about what in society, what in our economy are actually hurting people. And COVID has laid it all very bare. I mean, you look at the statistics of who's dying, you look at the statistics of who's getting sick, and the fact that, you know, in the past week that there have been two other workers who've died within the the meatpacking industry, one a worker outside of, um, well, a worker from Winnipeg who was working in Steinbeck, Manitoba, at uh, Granny's, now Excelsior Poultry uh, pr- Production Factories or whatever. There's a big outbreak happening there. And a second worker who was uh, who died from an outbreak at the Olimel factory uh, south of Quebec City in the Beauce. And we are not having conversations about keeping workers, you know, from getting sick. We're not talking about these conditions that are horrible. We're not talking about all of the ways that our society is very sick. And instead, it's just like, no, no, we're going to bail out those economies. We're going to bail out those industries that we need. We're going to bail out the people that are really rich. And someone like Galen Weston can be like the big benefactor of that, making tons of money off of uh, providing vaccines within Shoppers Drug Mart. He's got a whole province on strike in in Newfoundland right now against him and, and the way that their workers are treated within his stores. And they won't even pay, like they didn't even continue the pandemic pay as we've, as we've hit that second wave in parts across Canada. And it's really surprising and confusing. It's like, where are the discussions of big ideas and what should we be talking about as the possibilities of the world that we emerge into once this whole pandemic is over. Yeah, you know, I I think it was last week or the week before I joined Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo's uh, church congregation to have a discussion about defunding the police. And she has a podcast that you folks can listen to as well called Radical Reverend. I think that I think that you were on it this week, Nora. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, great, great stuff. And I had joined her congregation and uh, I we were um, in the kind of post um, sermon coffee session via Zoom, of course. <laughs> and somebody asked me, you know, like what, you know, all of the stuff that you're talking about with respect to defund the police, it just seems really clear, really reasoned, really obvious. Why is it? that the politicians haven't jumped on this, if it's also really popular, because I also read, you know, that uh, a lot of Canadians are in favor of this. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's a question I ask myself often. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like, actually, there, there are all sorts of reasons, I think that, um, you know, in terms of what, where their motivations lie and who they're beholden to, um, which is not necessarily us as, uh, as, as citizens. But 
Um, I do think that uh, one of the big reasons actually is because we have entered an era if, in politics where big changes um, are not, you know, not the norm, like building uh, massive um, social infrastructure or institutions, not the norm. We are, yeah. we expect nothing from our governments. We're, we're not in, you know, the, the era of the sixties where the Ontario government builds an entire post-secondary education system through the college system decides we're going to do that. We're going to build this new service. It's going to be affordable. It's going to be a way that people can access post-secondary education and we're going to build something new. We're not in the era of Canada creating um, a, a whole different way to orient around um, uh, around socialized healthcare. Um, we are not in an era where our governments municipally are like, we're going to create uh, libraries, damn it. <laughs> and it's going to be difficult and it's, it's going to be a lot of infrastructure and it's going to be a lot of money and it's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be good for um, our society to have libraries. We're not in that. We are in a place where literally the only things that our governments are approving in terms of building are typically developments like housing developments or like some new engineering project. And it's like stuff that doesn't necessarily matter in a big way uh, to, to just your average Joe citizen person. But, you know, you have ideas around childcare. Yeah, we'll have that kicking around for fucking 40 years and never actually make it uh, come to fruition. Pharmacare, what a big discussion. We'll just have that kicking around for the next 10 years, I guarantee you, and never have it come uh, to fruition. And so it's it's like even more impossible to even imagine things like let's eliminate um, the the possibility for people to be unhoused. Let's just mm-hmm. make sure that that's not possible. Let's build something to make sure that that's not possible. Let's create a whole new service that deals with mental health crises. Let's build a true I, I don't know a free. Uh, communication system or socialized communication system where people don't have to be beholden to private companies in order to communicate with one another, especially if we're in the age of pandemics, like people need to be able to communicate. Let's build that. I haven't heard these types of ideas. I haven't, but they seem so obvious. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's not that much work to think through why these things would be necessary and would be beneficial for everybody. Yeah, I've been thinking about this so much as well during the pandemic. And and especially this year, like 2020 is the 50th anniversary of a lot of things. And so in 1970, the federal government in October was dealing with the October crisis, right, where radical Marxists were, were really challenging the government and a group of them through the FLQ ended up killing a, a cabinet minister in Quebec, Pierre Laporte, and kidnapping the, the, the British high commissioner, James Cross. And, uh, and, and had their manifesto, forced their manifesto, their Marxist radical manifesto read on the, the air uh, as they were negotiating with the federal government to allow 
the people accused of having committed that murder, who a lot of them did not commit it, uh, to have safe haven to Cuba. <laughs> uh, and then three months later, the Royal Commission of the Status of Women report was 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 delivered, right, in December 1970. And this report was incredible as a watershed moment for women's rights in Canada and recommended so many things that give women today the right to do certain things, everything from uh, getting citizenship status if you're an immigrant woman to being able to access certain training programs to uh, a lot of measures to try and combat violence against women, which disproportionately has helped white women and disproportionately has not helped racialize women, especially indigenous women. But these things were happening all in the 1970s. It was a time uh, after many years of social activism where politicians absolutely had to respond to citizen demands. And Sandy, you mentioned the creation of the, of the Ontario College System. Like that happened around the same time. And we're talking about a progressive conservative government in Ontario that actually did that under Bill Davis, who today is like a curmudgeon shithead that lives in Brampton that's helping to lead the charge against having public funding for transit in Brampton, which if you've ever been to Brampton, it's like, uh, no, Brampton needs public transit. Like, it's the only way to get around in this, yeah, no in this fucking place. <laughs> Um, and so you think of of this of, of these of these things that were achieved in the 1970s, uh, and then there's more. I mean, I mean, BC had its first um, uh, tangle with with public childcare in in 1971, 72, 73, thanks in large part to Rosemary Brown, who was an NDP member of the BC government, uh, the first black woman to run for a leadership position within the NDP, and it's a shame that she didn't win. If you look at her speeches today, they sound so radical, so fucking radical. Like, you can't even believe someone was saying this stuff running for a national party. And of course, she lost to Ed Broadbent. And, you know, like, how is it that we are now eight months into a pandemic and there has been no national discussion of any of this stuff, of anything of publicizing, socializing our, 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 our telecommunications infrastructure, which would help people work from home from now on if they wanted to, or help small communities, rural communities have access to high-speed internet. Or one thing that I've been thinking a lot about, how is this not the moment that we're building high-speed rail in this country to make sure that you can get from Montreal to, to Toronto in two hours, like is the case in, in many developed countries around the world? It's so like so shocking and so disappointing and such a, a a damning comment on where we are in society that i i don't know what it's going to take like do we have to kidnap adam vaughn do we have to uh, <laughs> and i'm just saying adam vaughn because i know he listens to the podcast but do we have to do something to one of these cabinet ministers to be like what the fuck will it take like you have done Nothing. All you've done is come up with social programs that will literally get people just the bare minimum to get through this 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 pandemic to re entrench the status quo. You are giving billions of dollars to our employers to keep us on the payroll. That is your idea of social relief. Are you fucked? Federal government. Well, yes, we know you're fucked. Where are the visionaries and where are the people saying, no, no, now is the time that we actually can do these huge ticket massive spending projects to make life better for the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 30 years, as we're staring down a crisis, a pandemic, a health crisis and an environmental crisis. Yeah. I mean, some of these things, like, as I say, like, it doesn't, 
I'm not looking for, you know, people to break their brains coming up with the, 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 some ideas that have never before been thought for, thought of, but I am expecting that in this moment that we push forward, especially on the left, um, really progressive policy that are big changes for people's lives. Like Mm -hmm. here's an obvious one. Here's a fucking obvious one from someone sitting in zoom classrooms with a hundred other people every fucking day. Like why the fuck am I paying for education? And why is, why isn't it the case that every politician (laughs) is not talking about free education right now? Yeah. How the hell, when we get out of this situation, People, there are going to be a lot of people who were uh, perhaps just uh, just scraping by before who are going to be in destitute situations. There are going to be people who are doing well pre-pandemic who are going to be in destitute situations. And a lot of those people are maybe going to want to go to school, maybe going to want some new training, a new job, or just to think about whatever they want to think about, you know, do some research or whatever. Like a lot of people are going to want to go to school. And are we not thinking that this is a good time to plan around making that uh, a free service that we provide for people? Like, God, like why? Why not? Why hasn't that been a discussion for anyone except the fucking Green Party? Why? Hello? obvious like really fucking obvious right now and in in that session in that session uh that i had with uh uh, reverend dr sherry denova's um congregation you know one of the the folks who i was having a conversation with said well you know i think we have this problem in our society where we're so used to uh waiting for a problem and then dealing with it once it arrives. And we don't have a society and we don't have a political culture where uh, those who, who are in power and those who um, are the, the caretakers of policy and institutions and society have an orientation towards prevention or towards building something to make sure that certain things don't go bad. They the the way that politics works is um and and you can kind of see it in these in the way that uh political debates go is that um politicians rely on bad situations so that they can promise some pittance to the bad situation to make the bad situation better and it is very rare that you'll hear about discussions to uh, to deal with the bad situation or to deal with uh, to make a, a bad situation impossible to to deal with things as prevention and I think uh, one of the biggest places where that's like such a risk and such a terrible way to think about doing things is in the climate and like we can see it with the climate crisis you know like all of the promises that we hear from politicians are all about what they're going to do in reaction. Uh, to some 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 new development or some new thing that's being discussed in the climate crisis, uh, whether that's you know like oh we we see that plastics are a really bad situation, we'll ban straws, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> oh the, the carbon sucks, we'll we'll create carbon uh, tax. <laughs> like you know, it's not it's never about like this 
um, solving the problem as a as a as a orientation that's like let's make sure this problem never exists. And I don't know. I found that really compelling um, and true about the way that our our political culture is oriented right now. I'm guessing struggling with the idea of whether or not it's oriented towards there or if this is just the result of the neoliberal entrenchment that started in the 1980s and that has had three decades of time to figure out how to adapt to demands from social movements. Because, like, neoliberal politics places the individual at the center of all decision-making. And if that individual, who's conceived as being white, middle-class, probably the father of a family of four or maybe five if he's a hero because uh, children are a disaster, don't have children. Um, the The problem, of course, with it is that there's no vision. And we see this in every single political party. Like the conservatives who are actually the party of big social programs, the programs that we actually rely on, like the college system or, or, or public universities or whatever, like all they're doing right now, all Aaron O'Toole is doing right now is being extremely racist against China. That is literally the only thing that fucking chinless fuck is able to do. I mean, he's got a fake chin and he puts it on every day, but he has nothing beyond that. And then you have the NDP that is not also saying, where is our high-speed rail? Where is our high-speed internet? Where is, uh, you know, banning these really horrible environmental practices? Now is the moment the price of oil is, like, decimated. We need jobs in Alberta. How can we create new jobs within this new economy? Like, there is nothing. And I don't know if, I don't think it's a reluctance. I think it is literal, like, it's a combination between ignorance within the NDP and then uh, malice and, and being so closely connected to corporations within the liberals and the conservatives that they absolutely do not want to upset the cart. Because, I mean, like I've been doing some writing, I'm working on a new book, and the, and the writing has been related to how journalists have explained the, the COVID crisis to Canadians and how they've, like, how their reporting is framing how we understand this this pandemic. And it is so incredible to me how like the thing that is the most fundamental in this country, which is food production, is run like completely through uh, a couple of forces. One, the lowest paid, most precarious, dangerous, most dangerous work by workers who are either recent immigrants or people who have no status in this country. Or it's through global imports uh, from countries that probably also run their food uh, industries in the same way from off the backs of very poor people like, you know, picking their food or creating or processing their food. And the fact that there's no public conversation in this country in on what has happened thanks to COVID in the food manufacturing industries is just proof that all of our politicians are so fucked, so fucked. They're so out to lunch. They don't fucking care or they don't understand or they're in the pockets of Galen Weston and they were not they will not have a conversation about what does a nationally planned public food strategy look like why in the fuck is rice something I have to pay for (laughs) why isn't rice given to all Canadians we're in a fucking rich country Mm -hmm. rice should be given to us all Mm -hmm. flowers should be given to us all in the middle of the fall apples should be given to us all but instead this is this incredibly exploitative industry and how do we see that because of the 
the COVID pandemic, we see it because of how people who's picking our food, who's processing our food, who's dying to do this, who's getting COVID to do this, because the factories, of course, are a major driver of the infections. And no, no motherfucking politician is talking about this. It is so mind-boggling. I mean, there are good politicians out there. Where the fuck are you folks talking about this and putting forward alternatives that would rejuvenate local economies, that would rejuvenate ghost towns and create new factory jobs within parts across Canada and maybe our food needs to be more expensive, but maybe that's because the food that we pay for right now is just too cheap to actually give people a decent living. It's so, so frustrating. Yeah, it really it really drives me up the wall <laughs> that, you know, way back in, in April, you know, we were having these discussions. Uh, you know, we were some of our politicians were saying these things. Justin Trudeau was saying these things in his daily fucking addresses about the things that we could expect come the fall, the types of uh, risks that uh, faced us as a society. And then we all just kind of what sat back and watched it happen. (laughs) It just, it just, it it is like the most uh, neoliberal thing, the most consumer culture thing. Uh, You know, like the fact that we are all, um, you know, the, the government interacts with us as consumers, that they put all of their, all of their money and all of the the power uh, to 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 survive the pandemic into large corporations and not into us. It's just, you know, I've been frustrated about these things, you know, outside of the pandemic, sure, but it just feels like like now is the time, like at the time that we are shifting and creating new services so quickly. That we that some of these big and bold ideas would come to fruition now, but no, no, not even, not even pharmacare, not even these big changes around healthcare <laughs> in a pandemic are being discussed. How whack is that? <laughs> like I just, it, <laughs> it's just like a strange fucking nightmare, man. <laughs> strange nightmare well it is but i mean this is where you can then look to seeing what those resistance movements do look like right so we have folks of six nations in ontario and southwestern ontario who have literally dug up the main road like brought in fucking backhoes to dig up mackenzie road which is leading into the, the the land reclamation project that that six nations activists have managed to so successfully slow down and ideally stop. Like, there is vision in this country, right? Mi'kmaq fisher, fishers having processing plants and, and fighting white supremacy through, like, actually having the realization of their treaty rights. That is that is the realization of of a new world and and you know part of the 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 things that i've been really inspired by today was uh, a thread from chelsea vowell who was talking about I'd like a lot of these things, how we need big ideas to get us get ourselves out of the pandemic. But she specifically talked about malls, right? And how like ridiculous a mall is and how do we have malls and what should replace malls, recognizing that malls are also social 
meeting places, especially for folks who live, well, she said in the prairies, but, you know, I'd add Quebec, <laughs> folks who live in really cold environments where you just need to get your running shoes on and just walk in an inter- inside kind of location. Why in the fuck is it commercial spaces that we do that? Like, what are the public spaces that we could create to have more recreational facilities that are free, more facilities that you can walk in or that you could run in? Gyms are such a like a really central question to this whole like the spread of COVID within the pandemic. What about public gyms and what do the public spaces look like where we're working out or where we're gathering or where we're taking up more space? None of this is being discussed by our politicians. There isn't a a single province that has this discussion at the front of its mind. If anything, it's actually provinces that are going backwards. And I'm thinking of Jason Kenney and Scott Moe and Brian Pallister and Doug Ford and fucking Francois Legault. Like, that's the whole center of the country with the fucking absolute worst leadership. I mean, I stopped at Francois Legault, but fuck... Uh, Blaine Higgs in fucking New Brunswick. It's the same thing. Uh, I mean, the liberals in New- Nova Scotia are a bunch of shitheads too. And fuck Newfoundland, Labrador. You folks are on a good place either. And John Oregon's not the best we got. So how do we <laughs> bring these radical ideas into the mainstream, especially when our mainstream press is so shit and hostile to these ideas? Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, there's so there's so many things, so many things, so many things, so many things. Like how fucked up is it that in our very wealthy society uh, their hunger exists as a problem how does that make sense how does it make sense in a place like canada where things grow in abundance (laughs) we have eliminated uh you know fruit bearing uh, uh and like food bearing uh, plants from public space. Why? Let's put them back in fucking um, poor countries all over the world. Hunger isn't necessarily some of the biggest things that in certain countries people deal with because, you know, there are mangoes falling from trees and there are things that people can grab at the side of the road. Why don't we have that? Why don't we have uh, community fridges that people can use. I was reading an article about a community fridge um, and in a community in Toronto recently. Like, why isn't there community fridges all over the place? Why aren't there public bathrooms? This one makes me so frustrated. <laughs> like, it just oh my is God, like, totally. gosh, we're coming out of a pandemic where we need people to um, be engaged in uh, personal hygiene more, but you know, you're not allowed to use like the bathroom anywhere unless you buy something. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. We used to have water fountains everywhere. I remember that as a kid, uh, there's, they've been disappearing. There used to be water fountains everywhere. Why weren't there places that people could go into and use the bathroom? Uh, for uh you know like for for reasons of like hating people who are poor hating people who are unhoused in our society uh politicians have never prioritized that well why not now why not now why can't Mm -hmm. we do those things now look everything that we do individually can be done collectively That may sound like a mind-blowing idea, but it's not. Literally everything that we do individually can be done collectively. And oftentimes it's going to be cheaper if we do it collectively. And so the economic arguments around, God, it's going to be too expensive to do these things, do not bear out. Okay? like, And we have to start orienting ourselves towards changing a situation rather than just slapping a Band-Aid on it. 
Like, gosh, y'all, if we know that incarceration is dangerous for all kinds of reasons, um, including dangerous in a pandemic, including because of uh, recidivism rates and so on, including because it is dangerous uh, for young people who who are incarcerated and then, uh, you know, are perhaps like their, their whole psyche has changed and because it's just terrible and wrong uh, to put humans in cages, all of these reasons, then gosh, let's come up with new ways to orient our society so that we get people what they need instead of criminalizing people and putting them away. Like where are the politicians talking about these big issues? I want to know. I want to know because I want to endorse you <laughs> and help you win. Like I want yeah. those people in power. And maybe it's just it's just no one right now and we just need to create something new. Nora, are you going to maybe create a political party or something? I'd vote for you. Maybe, but like, do we need that? Like, th- th- this is the most frustrating thing where it's like the most radical idea that's being put forward by a lot of progressives right now, including like the most radical members of parliament is like a universal basic income. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing wasting your time with that? I know, I know. It's just because everything is oriented around money. Everything is oriented around money. Yes. It's just like, what do you want everybody to be able to afford their livelihoods and to get what they need? Great. Let's give it to them through money. No. Why Why the through money? No. <laughs> stop. Stop the Seriously. through money part. Get away from the middleman and just do the work to get people the things that they need. If that's the goal, do that part. Do yeah, that part. like I get that people I get that people feel really pigeonholed into the way that things are right now. Things feel very bleak. And the second wave is uh bad. I mean, fuck, I still live in the most covid heavy city in Canada. Like I know what it's like right now. It's super shitty. My kids had two covid cases at their school this past week. Like it's it's not fun. But everybody who has like a little bit of power, whether or not you're a union executive, whether or not you've got a good paying job, whether or not you're a fucking guy about town in your little fucking part of this country, whether or not you're an actual member of parliament or an actual member of legislative assembly, provincial parliament, national assembly. My fucking God, now is the time to be like, um, yeah, no, I'm just going to start serving all of these motions to try and force the, the, the discussion and force the conversation and understand that like media concentration in this country has destroyed the critical faculties of journalists and of journalism. And so it's like, fuck the press. You can do this outside of the press. The press can follow you. You don't have to follow the press. And, 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 and the folks advising, like the folks advising Jagmeet Singh, like, Come up with radical shit, not tax the rich radical, but fucking high speed rail all across this fucking country radical. Or here's the plan to give high speed Internet access. Literally, here's the plan across this entire fucking nation, because in absence of that, we are desperate. We have very little. And especially right now where social movements cannot do the work that they normally do because of the pandemic. Fuck, like we need you to do the work so that we can support that work. We can pressure other politicians into doing that work and we can pressure journalists into covering that work. 